Welcome to Story Talking with Laksh, episode 73. My name is Laksh, and this is the podcast where I talk about stories, I talk about creating them, I talk about how they work, and I also talk to storytellers from all over the world about why they do what they do and how they do what they do. So if you're looking for an update because you on, on dual stories, because you heard the last episode. I I can't tell you much because I'm not this episode is not about dual stories because you probably figured that out when you read the title of this episode. But I will tell you this. Last night I did I haven't written much about dual stories, I promise. I will let you know when I do because there'll be a whole episode about it. But I can tell you this. Last night I figured out a very important component of how the universes will work and how I will communicate how the universes work to the reader. So I'm going to leave it at that. And that's all I'm going to say about dual stories in this episode. Hopefully we'll have a new episode on that uh, at some point this in, in February. So coming back to this episode, this episode, my guest is Ravi Shankar. Ravi is a seasoned journalist who has worked with everyone from Indian Express to the Observer Group to India Today. Right now, he's a consulting editor at the New Indian Express, and we're going to talk about his his career, uh, as you'll see in the episode. But the reason that I wanted to talk to Ravi is because he has this book out called Killing Time in Delhi, and I met him uh, when I was in Jaipur. Man, these things are... I'm I'm sitting in construction zone trying to record this in intro and I've tried a couple times and they just don't seem to be getting away. The noises are hard to get rid of. All right, I'm going to power through the rest of this quickly. I met Ravi in Jaipur uh, at the Penguin Random House Party and he told me about his book and I immediately wanted to know more because it's it's a, it's a really interesting... Uh, the beginning of the story, and I started, I, Ravi was kind enough to uh, give me a signed copy when I went to his house to do the podcast recording, and I started reading it right away, and just in the first paragraph, he, and which is something he told me when I met him in person uh, at, 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 and during JLF as well, just in the first ep- first paragraph, you, f- you know that this is the story that, that you're going to be drawn to. And it's it's the story of this guy named Charlie, whose girlfriend overdoses uh, on some drugs, and then he has to figure out how to deal with uh, all of that. But it's 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 a it's a really funny book uh, about the culture of the elite in in India, and in Delhi specifically. And Ravi and I talk in depth about where the inspiration from the book came from, where the ideas for the book came from, where the characters, and why is this character this way, how he writes, his whole process. We go, this is this is a very, this conversation is very much storyteller to storyteller. And that that is actually the, the what Ravi signed uh, on in the book as well. To me, he said, uh, dear Lux, from one storyteller to another. So... Thank you, Ravi, for doing that. Uh, I highly recommend you guys also pick up this book. 
I am not done reading it, but I am hoping to be done by the end of this weekend. It is really, it's just so brilliantly funny and real that you're going to, you know that there is a story like this that you just haven't heard before, but something like this probably happens all the time. And the things in this book are, are based on, I mean, he's, Ravi's lived in this world and he, he knows, he definitely knows what he's talking about. So highly recommend this book. It's called Killing Time in Delhi. It's available on Amazon uh, by Westland Books. And I highly, highly recommend it. So, but you don't have to read the book to hear this episode because it's just, there's just such good material here for anyone interested in storytelling and knowing how a writer uh, puts something, puts words together, really. So hope you enjoy this episode. Here is episode 73 of Story Talking with Laksh, where I sat down with Ravi Shankar. I was born in a very small town called Palakkad in Kerala and I grew up there and it has, uh, it's an amazing well of stories, you know, because it lies on the Tamil Nadu border, so there is a lot of cross-culture happening. Mm. And there was a time when, you know, Kerala was really unpolluted either culturally or, you know, <clears throat> landscape-wise, culturally or uh, geographically. So, you know, it, it, it never leaves you. That never leaves you, you know. So, when you go back uh, to visit my dad, I go, you know, when he's like 19. So, you realize that, you know, what you grew up with is no longer there. For example, mm. there, like there used to be the river which used to run along, run along the land, you know, or <clears throat> run through the village. It doesn't exist anymore, you know. Mm. And there were like tales about this river which are hundreds of years old, but the damn thing isn't there anymore, you know. So you're getting into a completely different reality, which is mind-blowing. I mean, you can see a reality changing in terms of architecture or, yeah. you know, like, like Lucknow, you see the architecture changing or in Delhi, you see all this kind of you know, buildings coming up, but nothing like vanishes out of there, you know, like, so that's just one example. Yeah, yeah. You know. So when you, uh, when you, when you kind of, you know, go there, I was kind of, you know, just, the other day I just went, went there to just see how it was. And there were houses built on the riverbed, you know, where there used to be flash floods. Mm. So you can see how much the state yeah, has been. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is that all you've got is nostalgia and memories because that reality doesn't exist anymore. That is what I found interesting about, you know, growing up then and now going yeah. back. When you, so you were there like teen, teenage years and everything. Yeah, I lived there yeah. for about 17 years, yeah. So, there's, I was reading this uh, interesting article recently where it talked about how men and boys especially, not so much women, when they grow up and they're able to afford a lifestyle, that they always end up trying to impress their teenage version. Like when you, you know, when you make money, mm. you end up wanting to do things that would be like, oh, when I was 13, nah. these are the things I wanted and I never had. Yeah. So when, I, when I'm like in my 30s and 40s and I'm able to make money, you are like trying to impress that guy. Yeah, fair enough. So, is, so like, is that what your, was there that desire of 
warning a lot when you were a teenager? No, you see, the thing is that it's not good not poor. So that rules out the, uh, that particular part. But yes, in the sense that there were a lot of things which we didn't have. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have fast cars. You know, we didn't have great roads. You know, we, we didn't have uh, like gourmet food. Mm-hmm. Though what, I mean, Kerala is now <clears throat> giving gourmet food to others. But, yeah. you know, like that kind of opportunity, one could travel abroad, uh, you know, uh, often or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, yeah. even travel in India that much because, uh, because so many things. So, yes, you know, so I would try to get, you know, yes, I mean, one does, it's simple, one does things when you're able to do it, what you were able to do in the past. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. logical. Is there, was there a desire for a, for a, yeah, that's, that's good. Was there, uh, you know, around 15, 16, that, that age, was there a desire for a completely different life that you have, that you feel like you haven't, you haven't gotten to live? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, doesn't anybody have that? I mean, doesn't, I, I assume so because there's, there's life feels limitless yeah. at that point. Absolely. You know? Yeah. That's when you, it's like a. It's like a diving board, you know, you're yeah. ready to kind of plunge into it. Yeah. What, what, so what did like, you know, 16 year old Ravi want to do with his life? What did I want to do with my life? Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to be a journalist, you know, I'd always wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to work for the Indian Express, I still remember, mm. which was the, so that was a very rebel paper that was like yeah. going out and, you know, like getting under everybody's skin, you know, like going at people, hammer and tongs. That I always liked, that appeal to me because I've always had this, uh, it's very funny because, you know, good journalism is about bringing down people in power who have done the wrong thing or straight away from it. But ironically, good journalism makes you very powerful. Mm. So, you know, the whole responsibility of power, this kind of whole contradiction always would interest me. Yeah. So yes, I wanted to be a journalist. Mm, I could draw, so I wanted to be a political cartoonist. That's I wanted to do that. And I wanted to write fiction. I mean, that's career-wise. Then I wanted to travel, usual thing, travel, girls, partying. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, always want to do that. So, and so, did you start with the cartooning? Is that was that your uh, yes? I, I, into yeah. journalism, right? I started with political cartoon. Yes. And when did, when did that start? Like uh, right out of college or during, during yeah, college? Yeah, you know, basically I was in college and I was kind of, you know, I was just, I just drawing. So I just, in those days life was very simple. One didn't have to kind of go into multiple interviews and stuff for that application forms. You would mm. just walk into a yeah. editor's room or try to see an editor say, look, I want to kind of, you know, but they always gave you a break. Yeah. I mean, if you spoke well, you know, you could kind of, you know, you spoke sensibly, they would always give you a break. Because in those days, editors were very different from the editors now. I mean, today editors are very, uh, what do you call revenue oriented, target oriented. In those days, journalism was about intellect. Mm. You know, it was about giving the best you got in terms of what you've learned, what you knew. Not in terms of how to sell a paper. You know, I don't Mm. think any of my old editors, like, I mean, really great people, great editors like Nihal Singh or, you know, so any of those people, I don't think they ever became an editor to kind of sell a paper. You know, that was not what you were supposed was to calling be. Yeah, like Irala yeah, Jain. Yeah. So they're not selling a paper. It was basically about, I mean, influencing people's nine minds, <coughs> influencing people's minds with the, with, with the right perspective, the right context. Mm. 
Yeah. Right intellectual exchange. That is what editors were meant to be. That is what journalism was. But today, of course, I mean, things have changed. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying this is right, that is wrong. Yeah. I mean, just, things have changed. That's just what the time. Yeah. 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 Times, they are changing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, when did, uh, when did fiction enter your, your life? I was writing fiction in Malayalam when I was in college. I like 15 or something. So, fiction never went away from my life. And what, what kind of, like short stories? Yeah, I started with short stories. You see, the thing was that the women in my family, my grandmother and my mother, and even my great-grandmother, I mean, incredible storytellers, you know, they would, like my grand great-grandmother, I mean, I, in fact, I'm so lucky because how many people today have a chance to kind of, you know, even meet their great-grandmother. But in those days, women married very early. So my great-grandmother yeah. married probably when you were 13 or something. Yeah, yeah. So... In many ways, we were brought up by her, you know, so, so all of them at that time when they were growing up, they come from very feudal background, you know, like they tell wild tales, like uh, it's kind of huge feudal family, which kind of lived on top of a hill and they, at the bottom of the hill was kind of carved out and they would be kind of, you know, they would, so all kind of shit like that, you know, they would kind of put their cattle there and so it made a story. So that was, that was, they came from very wild, uh, like wild western Mm-hmm. Of Kerala, that was that particular time, Malabar. And second was that my and my grandmother, she, because my granddad was in the you know in the army, they started the he started the Malabar Special Police. He was the first commander. So my grandmother had kind of you know seen the freedom movement from the other side, from the guys who were not fighting for India, but you know who were kind of you know defending. Uh, whatever was of the government at the time. So it was very interesting, you know, and then my mother was a great storyteller. So the whole thing that you grew up accompanied by this whole narrative of stories. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult not to kind of, you know, be yeah. into it. And my uncle is a very famous writer. He's dead now. I mean, he was a Saitya Academy winner. And I mean, his book is still counted to what? I don't know, it's 100 reprints or 200 reprints. Wow. So he's, he's, he's also well known. Yeah. So that was, my father was a poet. He's a scholar. So you grew up in a, an atmosphere right. where, right. you know, you're exposed to Books and stories, and I remember my dad gave me when I was what in seventh class or something. He gave me gave me War and Peace to read, and I mean <laughs> I didn't understand what the hell it was, but he said read it. I mean you know yeah. you read it now, yeah. you might be bored, but you'll come back to it later. Right. I remember right. reading Roman Roland when I was between vacations, you know. So right. So it was that growing up was very different. Hmm. The the priorities were different because there was so there were not that many things to do. Right. Right. So you read a lot. You know, and when when you started writing, mm-hmm. uh, did it feel like you were using writing to explore yourself, or was it more of a an outlet for what you already were feeling? No, neither. It was an expression because you see, I strongly believe that the best things to do are when they're fun to do, and I have always believed in. One single purpose my life is about. My life is about having fun. At different ages, different things. But it should be fun. It should be fun. Yeah. So yeah. for me, writing was exploring things. You know, it was not like it wasn't introspecting or I was yeah. I had no I was no great angst to write everything. Right, right. Let out and all that. So I was having fun. I said, okay, this is oh let's try this out, let's try that out. And it was just kind of fun and then <laughs> But, and then you are aware of the influences others have on you. You know, like, for example, there was a phase when I would write like Hemingway because I was really hooked on Hemingway. There was a phase, 
Don't we all have the yeah, kids? Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> no, don't not publish. Yeah, yeah. But I would kind of, you know, or, you know, I would write like my uncle. So, various things. So, you kind of, you know, growing yeah. up. And you're trying all personalities. Exactly. In yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like osmotic. I mean, you know, like, uh, or, you know, it's like maybe synergic or osmotic, which way you call it. Because you absorb influences and you kind of, you know, what you produce is a right, of that. Right, right, So, that's, that's, that is the fun of it. So, did, I mean, you, you've spent, primarily your career is, is journalism. Yes. That's, that's, yeah. that's no, what you, yes. that's totally. what you spend your entire, you've totally, dedicated yeah. your life to. Yeah. When you got in, was it everything that you expected? And yeah, absolutely. When I got in, absolutely. Absolutely. When did, did you then reach a point where there was this disillusionment because you were talking about how times, you know, you saw no, journalism is that way of seeing the world through this introspective yeah. How do I sense. put it? How do I put it? No, uh, no, it's not. It is actually a great progression because somehow I've been very lucky. I was, I was offered various, you know, areas to experiment with. Like I remember when I was... <laughs> Still in college, I don't remember. I mean, somewhere like around nine twenty or something. So I met this guy who was the editor of the Hindustan Times, uh, the, the the magazine, Vepera. So I mean, food. I was chatting. So he said, "Why don't you write?" I said, "Okay." So I'll give you a column. Hmm. You know. So I got a column in uh, Hindustan Times in yeah. nineteen nine, no nineteen eighty nine or something. I, I mean, can you imagine that like, people today are yeah. dying to write columns? But that yeah. is okay. I mean, I'm tried out. Yeah. I mean, actually wrote a column for a year in HP, you know. So then uh, one day I was sitting uh, with, in those days, Express was, I mean, I was, it was very funny because I was a freelance person. But I had a cabin there, a phone there, everything. It is completely different in those days. So I remember I met Shanoi, old friend of mine who's passed away now. He was editor of the week. So chatting about things, I said something and you know, he said, oh, he liked it. He said, why don't you cover this particular thing for me, which was this farmer's education. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. So I went and came, it appeared as part of the cover story in week. Then Arun Shari was the editor at the time and you know, he like, Indian Express. I said, I want to check out, try to cover the elections. He said, okay, fine to try it. So essentially, the, the atmosphere or the, you know, what do you call the environment, the mm-hmm. ecosystem of journalism then allowed you a lot of Scope to experiment. Yeah. Like yeah. today, if I mean, I try my best to see if that can happen to my people who work with me. But today, I don't see any uh, cartoonist being asked to kind of go and cover an election in any any paper, you know, or any magazine. So I don't. I wouldn't see any reporter asked to take become a photographer, news photographer. Right. You know. So people have been put into their boxes that this this is what you're going to do. This is what you're. See, specialization do. came in. Yeah. You know what yeah. happened was. <laughs> Specialization came in. As specialization came in, uh, experts started kind of you know, sticking to their their fields. But I remember when I was from Indian Express, I moved to the Observer Group with Amani Sarkar and Dilbar Dilbar. So, so the uh, art director left some people. So the Nyasa was the editor and RK Mishra was the chairman, they called me to the office said, okay, we are making a head of the graphics team. I said, I don't know anything about graphics. He said, no, try it. So I am, I do not see anyone doing that today. I'm talking yeah. about 1990, which is what, 30 years ago? Yeah. 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 But 18, 29, 20, 29 yeah. years ago. Yeah. 
I mean, twenty nine is lifetime. I don't know, like people who, who enter journalism today wasn't born then. So the yeah. whole concept that somebody say, okay, try it out. Hmm. So I tried it out. You know, it worked because I was fascinated with computers were just coming in, so computer graphics was coming right, in, right. and then we were saying Gulf War is on, so we were saying what USA Today was doing. So I said, okay, because I had a visual background, I said, which helped me in my writing anyway, because my writing is supposed to be very visual. So you could translate uh, news into visuals. Hmm. You know, so actually we were the ones who stuck. You know, started computer graphic in the country. I mean, you know, like I was the one. I, I mean, I want to say I. We were the ones who started computer graphic in the country. There was no yeah. computer graphics before that. Yeah. Except yeah. KBK would draw the little graph. There was no computer graphics. We were the ones who started it. Times when they followed, everybody else followed, right? So then, uh, I don't know, two thousand and no, nineteen ninety three or something. Uh, editor of India Today is they were looking for a. Designer, mm. so they offered me a job. I said, "I know all about magazine design, anything about magazine design, uh, more for graphics guys." Okay, I'm in a room for very long interviews, and so, so they hired me, right? So suddenly, you started getting used to design software. So essentially, I've always winged it. Yeah, yeah. you know, I let's wing it, and everything is common sense. You know, nothing in the world which works is not common sense. Hmm. You know, so it's about translating things, yeah. translating different realities. Frankly speaking, that's what it is. So if you're, if you're able to wing it, and you're not kind of you know siloed in into any particular kind of thing, I think you can do pretty well in life. The I want to now move more towards the fictional side of uh, the writing that you've done. Having a very, I mean, you're surrounded by non-fiction. We're all surrounded by non-fiction at all times, but you're also doing the job of translating it for a reader that this is what you should care about, or this is what we believe. You know that that this is the thing you should be focusing on. But when you're writing fiction, mm-hmm. you're that's way more personal because you're not telling this person. That this is what you should care about. You're saying this is what I care about. How did that feel when you knew that you're targeting a different emotion in a reader? What was that process for you like? Do for the first for the first uh, the first book was a collection. Yes, it was a collection. Horror story. Yeah. yeah. How did that knowing that okay, and I'm now writing with a Not targeting a different emotion in a reader. How did that affect your your writing process, or was, or is that something that you don't think about no. when you're writing at all? No, maybe now you put it that way. No, I hadn't thought about it that way. But I suppose, see, journalism is about information and analysis, which way it is. It's a commentary on you know real time yeah. commentary. Fiction is neither about information nor I would say analysis. I'm talking about analysis in the in the, in the journalistic sense. A fiction is about imagination, right? I mean, it's about creating a context. It's about translating that context through characters, plots, subplots. So, I mean, there was this time when there was magic realism. People kind of experimented with uh, you know, a lot of lot of you know things which are not. Completely, let's say, 
realistic narratives, like classical narratives. But essentially, this is the crucial difference. So it is a completely new field. Hmm. I mean, a completely new path yeah. to to tell the story. I mean, because and both are about telling stories, right? And this is a story which much more richer. Yeah. Much more richer because what are you you are actually putting across a thought, you know, you are putting across a thought and you are handling a, a single massive emotion which is binded. It could be I mean not being pompous. I mean it could be like. Like, what's a great horror story? A great horror story forces you to confront your fears. Mm. That's what it does. Right. <laughs> you know, a great tragic novel, you know, brings you into this whole context of redemption. You know, mm. you know, a great fantasy brings you, releases a certain amount of freedom in you, which uh, a wild freedom which allows right. you to kind of, you know, skate around what doesn't exist. Uh, classics bring to you the 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 when you when it brings to you a very very deep and very eternal quality which is not would not be there in other fiction. So there are different different kind of right, you know, right. roadmaps. So it's so it's that is what the difference is. Yeah. When did the what was the beginning of the latest novel, Killing Killing Time in Delhi? What yeah. was how did that that idea, like, when was that moment where you were like, that's, I need to write this now? No, I never needed to write anything. I mean, I, that's just something I want to tell you. Like, it was not, I mean, there was no kind of urge knocking me around. Right. It was like, oh, no. you gotta let it out. You've never... I mean, there was nothing which was actually, like, I remember Arundhati <coughs> saying something, you know, I would have gone mad if I hadn't written this. Yeah, maybe yeah, she would have, yeah. but I wouldn't have. I mean, like, for me, uh, as I said again, I mean, it sounds very, uh, you know, non-flip, but frankly, for me, telling a story is fun. Right. You know, telling right. a story is real fun. Uh, so, see, Delhi is a city I've lived in for a long time. Okay. So, I was having a conversation with Kartika, who's editor of Westland. And we were talking about some book. And she said something about, uh, I, you know, I don't exactly remember, but she said something about context and how... Um, how some story was being devised to tell a story about something else. Mm. So then I thought, I said, and I like thrillers because I really, really love mystery fiction. I really love it. And uh, so I said, I mean, this is a, a, yeah. And also another thing is this friend of mine, she said, why don't you, you write a book. I mean, fuck Kerala, forget about this Kerala business, forget about this thing. You lived in the city for a long time. Why don't you kind of write a modern novel, which is kind of chic, which is modern, which is what you know. So then I started, then I thought, I mean, like, it's not that I sat and thought, then I, I like, when you, you know what I mean, when you walk yeah, around, yeah, right, yeah, you know, yeah. the thing kind of start. So then I thought that, yeah, okay, so I wrote a murder story. I mean, you know, but actually it was, it is not a, it's not a crime novel. It's a, it's a commentary on Delhi. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the people. I mean, I wouldn't say people I know. I mean, like, traits of people I know, things I yeah. know. I'm familiar with this, this whole ecosystem. I'm, I'm the social ecosystem. It's financially. I mean, I'm familiar with Delhi very, very well. It's my city. Yeah. You know, I love the city. I mean, and people say otherwise, fuck them. But I really love the city. Right. Every city is good and bad. Yeah. So, I mean, there are things. I mean, I can live with it. So, 
there are things you like about anything, there are things you detest about anything, so that's natural. So as I started writing it, I mean, you know, I, I remember, I just, you know, this whole, um, Delhi has, like any city, Delhi has a conflict of snobbery. Okay. Like Bombay's got multiple things. I mean, there's kind of Bollywood, Bollywood versus, you know, uh, what you call it, serious, non-serious, then you've got kind of, you know, banter versus something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bombay's got multiple, but Delhi's very simple. Yeah. Delhi snobbery, Delhi is a Punjabi city. Okay, Delhi is a Punjabi city. And I don't know why people diss Punjabis because I mean most of my friends are Punjabis and they were I mean they were awesome hearts. Yeah. Like yeah. the way a Punjabi welcomes you to the house and opens yeah. the whole house, opens the table, opens the bar. Nowhere else. Not Bombay, not Calcutta, not yeah. nowhere. Yeah. Calcutta may be little. So I don't know why they diss them, but fine, everybody has got kind of you know, disabled. But having said that, the essential standoff between Delhi is between Lutian's Delhi and Nourish Delhi. Okay. And this is classic because in any city or any country, one class wants to drink that starts kind of declining and moving away while another class is coming up. So we are living in this very interesting time when Lutian's Delhi is slowly receding mm-hmm. and second generation is going to be where Lutian's Delhi is with their children. Let's put it this way. <laughs> In the 70s, a lot of people moved from West Delhi to South Delhi because South Delhi was weaker. Then, then the export boom happened. They started getting money they were thought they can get. But they remained, you know, what they were. I mean, they remained the same. The same people whose parents had run away from or were, had, were, you know, had to flee East Pakistan and stuff like that. So they didn't have really an opportunity to, you know, to finance themselves. Mm-hmm. But they got an opportunity to make money. Right? <clears throat> Then they started selling their children to good schools. So one, two, three. And their, their children now, who, who, who studied in British school or modern school or, you know, they started sending their children now to, uh, you know, overseas. Mm-hmm. So those who can't get into Harvard, yeah. they're going to get into some, you know, polytechnic or some banking school, you know, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So now they are coming back. When this, their parents came back, when the broad came back with, you know, uh, whatever, in those days with VCRs or, uh, and now it's like an iPod, whatever. I mean, they were smuggling through. So those were the priorities. Today's children don't want to kind of do that because they're familiar with that. Yeah. So you can see the whole class of this Punjabi class developing and this, and also Lutens really is Punjabis. They are Punjabis because they were the ones who built Delhi. Mm-hmm. If I, you find that because, you know, like many of them, like many of them who made money during the British period as mainly as contractors, real estate trade. Contractors, civil servants, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Post parents were traders. You know, a lot of the Marwadi is here. Parents were traders and the great grandfather was traded trained in Pakistan. So eventually they were the guys with money. Like today's people, same thing, right? So when the Brits left, they invested, they started buying a property. You know, like all of them bought property. I mean, like Lutian's Delhi, all of them bought property, all the grandfathers built it already. So they so they were one generation ahead, right? So they were more comfortable with their class than this class. They started looking down on this guy. Mm-hmm. But now those guys have started moving out. They started, they, either they're dying out or the children have kind of gone off. Yeah. They're living there overseas, blah, blah. They want to come back. <laughs> so they understand that you will not, you will rarely find in Lutin's Daily people in the age of 20 who are actually thinking about living in Delhi. 
So now the Punjabi, uh, this particular Punjabi class they detest is now moving into Lutinstein. They're buying a house in Pithra right. Road, Aramzeb Road, Jorba, yeah. Golf Plain, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So I am fascinated by this overlap which is happening. This whole story, you know, this whole narrative of uh, what do you call a new snobbery and old snobbery. I mean, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, I mean, if you go to... I mean, if you go to somebody's house, I mean, somebody who's a Lutianian who go to somebody's house. And I mean, it's it's about, I mean, it's about money, yeah, by the way. But the money is about, you know, buying the Amrita Shari painting, you know, or, you know, or Matisse on the walls, or, you know, uh, you know, taking a holiday like the parents did in, you know, in, in South of France. Or, but uh, here also it's about money. It's about, oh, I bought this Porsche or I bought this kind of, you know, so it's about how many parks, cars you can park in the background. Yeah, yeah. But these guys will never talk about cars. They find that kind of, you know, talk about money. They don't talk about money. We consider it to be, you know, naff, below yeah. the status. They're all in money. Yeah. <laughs> and they all live for money. They all do things for money. But the fact of the matter is that they don't talk about it. But here, you know, these guys talk about money. Yeah. So their parents, they don't would have talked about money. Mm. But these guys wouldn't. Yeah. But I don't think their parents would have talked about money because they were... I mean, the guys who made money here were part of the, the, the British, there's a proximity to that. They all wanted to be Gora. Mm-hmm. You know, they had that Gora That's you know, that exposure. Is, so yeah, they yeah. never talked about money like that. You know, people who own houses in Kasoli. Or, you know, so it's like this. People, those that generation owned houses in Kasoli. They own houses in Landor, part of Mussoorie. They own houses in certain parts of Shimla. So these guys come and buy houses in the, you know, ground, uh, I mean, in the foothills, blah, blah, blah. So the whole thing is a fascinating class, you know, it's a very fascinating study in class mm-hmm. in Delhi. And since I was, since I'm an outsider and uh, I'm obviously familiar outsider, I, I pass through both, I navigate both, uh, right. both uh, very easily because I don't try to belong. Yeah. So yeah. they are suspicious. They don't, you know, they don't. Lutes Delhi has contempt for anybody who tries to belong. Right. And the other Delhi would be suspicious if you try to belong. Yeah. Or if you are very really used to them. Okay. So I never try to belong. I just pass through. I like kind of. Yeah. And many of yeah. my friends, I have like all kinds of eclectic friends, you know. I mean, I have eclectic kind of friends. So I mean, it's for me, I'm an observer. I'm just passing through. And after a while, they realize I don't want anything from them. You know, I don't either want to be invited nor do I want kind of money. I don't want anything from them. So, so you know, we become friends. Mm-hmm. That's the motive. For, uh, so then I started saying this. So I said, okay. I'll just say. And uh, how I read a story is, it's like this. I have a seed of an idea. <laughs> Not an idea. Actually, I have a scene in my head. Pops out of nowhere. So for me, that seems like a stone and I'm like a dog. I throw the stone mm-hmm. and I chase it. I say, let me, let, you know, mm-hmm. let's see where it goes. Right. So I, I, so this is how I started writing this one as much as that one. Then you kind of plunge into the context and, you know, the personalities acquire their, you know, yeah. backgrounds or context or whatever. I'm beyond context, so, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's what I think. The... From what I remember, you meant you're talking about how the <coughs> lot really kicks off mm. is with the that's that's the beginning, right? I can talk about how the yeah. beginning of the book is. You can talk about it. The girlfriend of the protagonist overdoses, mm. and he now has to basically figure out what to do with her body, yeah. right? Yeah. 
that idea of someone of I, what Charlie was yeah Charlie. 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 that's what I always get amused to Delhi that nobody has real names anymore my thing about drugs is that it's a slide down hmm. you know, I, I've seen so many of my friends so many of my acquaintances just throw it all away for no reason yeah. you know it just it becomes not only control why do you want if you can't control something it's fine but why should let something else control you for me that is a crucial right. thing that's why yeah I was yeah the whole what I was thinking about uh, in terms of the character, the idea that it starts off with a crime in a way, but it's not which, an accident actually, which yeah. he has isn't really responsible for. Correct. But because he is a man of exceeding wealth, mm. he comes from you know that that yeah. that Lutin's money. That idea that rich people, which I mean. The book isn't just written for you know people who this is about. It's written for everyone to read about that world, right? That idea that that people who look look at these rich people with that envy and and sort of inbred hatred that oh you know you can get away with anything. Yeah. That idea that rich people can get away with anything. that is the starting point of of this guy's journey because he is now you think as an audience member i'm guessing uh do you want me as a reader to root for him to get away with it is that like or do you want charlie to be a part of the destruction of this society and i should want him to get caught like when you're starting as a writer when you're thinking about that do you want there to be that connection with the protagonist ki oh i i i kind of want this guy to not you know fail at this no see charlie's sense charlie has a sense of honor all right uh charlie's sense of honor with a very warped sense of right and wrong mm-hmm. but he has sense of honor right two different things <coughs> So somewhere you want to defend this, this, this values which gave him the honor, right? Yeah. So at the same time, I mean, the time still lives, and it's too easy for a rich man to kind of you know, because so many there are so many freeloaders. Yeah. I actually know people who, who, who are best friends with guys who fuck their girlfriends hmm. simply because they throw great parties. Right. So I mean, I know at least two people who you know who don't really care. Yeah. You yeah. know, so it's it's very bizarre. Right. So Charlie is not a bad guy at all. I mean, he's a good guy, but he's living according to his 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 career. He doesn't he doesn't kind of try to destroy anybody. He doesn't kind of you know doesn't commit crimes. I mean, he just has a good time. He's floating about. I mean, just floating yeah. around his life. Yeah. Because there is a a tragedy happens in his life, which 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 kind of you know reveals the humanity in him, mm. and also that fact that he wants to go back to it, go back to his old life. I mean that's the way he's coping with it. Right. So right. this life is all he's got to cope with life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he's not a bad guy. The when you're coming up with the like you said everything is about context for you. You want the story and all the things the conflict that drives the story to have some way of relatability mm-hmm. for for yourself and then the reader. when you're coming up with the supporting characters of of the story are they explorations that oh we'll see if i like i want that kind of a character in the yeah. story or are you letting the 
plot then drive oh i think i need that kind of a person now to enter the story no uh as unbelievable as it may seem i have never i have never consciously planned out a character mm-hmm. frankly never planned out a character sure like in the brahmin there was a shoka and there was a sandipitas king who were real people right right and and the rest nobody was planned out right mm-hmm. uh similarly um killing time in delhi not a single person was planned out mm-hmm. not a single person was planned out yeah you know and i had no fucking idea what is going to the you know first chapter and uh, frankly speaking i have no idea how written a single one of my books except tiger by the river i have no clue you know i would plot i have never plotted a story yeah. you know so that's actually why my editors usually point out so many discrepancies right, you know right. you got correct this you got because i haven't plotted the time yeah, right yeah, yeah. okay you know this flaw is there you know how does this connect and stuff yeah. so you know it's a is a flaw yeah. at the same time it is a great help i need to be surprised see yeah what actually um see every writer is an egotist in certain ways right so i love to surprise myself mm. and in retrospect i love to impress myself is it uffa you wrote that yeah <laughs> shit where did that come from you know right right that so in a way i mean if you ask me for right father like oh hey my will go time yeah yeah so that i suppose answers part of it yeah yeah so and in that scenario then are you the are you the only reader when you're writing are you the only reader you really care about the yeah. oh i should be enjoying this yes. if i enjoy it then i know that whoever reads it you know will at least yes. enjoy some of it and yes, all that yes absolutely yeah absolutely i don't write for anybody i don't work okay, i'm not going to say okay, i'm going to write for this audience i'm right, going to write right. to make a film i'm going to kind of you know write to get reviews no, no, no. i like to write myself and fortunately 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 my books do read to be well you yeah. know and they get publishers so uh, in in terms of the like you said you know you want to you want to impress yourself because You no, are. Don't take it. No, no, no. Of course. Absolute value. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that this is the when I think of writing. You know, I when I was young, I always used to get intimidated by by writers because I would think, oh, how can they do that and I can't. Did you write? Yeah, yeah. I started in college. Been, oh, been a while. So mostly short stories and plays because I started in college writing plays. Mm-hmm. So I used to get very intimidated before I started writing mm-hmm. that oh. that oh how can like you know you look at i would always be impressed by someone like tarantino mm-hmm. aaron sorkin mm-hmm. these guys who write dialogue as if it's as yeah. if it's shakespeare yeah and already you know you in school you study shakespeare you're like oh shit that's what writing is right obviously what i do is not writing right but then yeah, yeah, i felt like you know yeah there's so there there is that almost like an imposter syndrome when someone reads mm-hmm. your work and be mm-hmm. like for me that hesitation of getting over that writers are here above here and i'm just a person who has thoughts getting from there to up there like you said it requires you to start believing in your own uh grandiosity in a way ki oh maybe what i have to say is unique maybe what i have to say is worth someone else's time right then there comes that part where you actually fall in love with your words too where you're like 
this is this is better than I thought it would be and all that. When the thing is done then, when you're done with, let's say, the first draft of this novel, do you feel like I did I did I did exactly what I wanted to do and now it's done? Or do you feel like he, it almost was perfect? My philosophy in life is very simple. Live and let live. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, Shakespeare's written big shit. Or Marquez. Or Tom Wolfe. Hemingway. They've written kind of, you know, massive stuff. Chetan Bhagat has written immensely popular stuff. Or P.K. Shalom has written immensely popular stuff. That's fine. They do what they are good at. Yeah, yeah. What I'm good at. I'm not saying that I'm better than you or they you're better than me. No, that that doesn't really work for me. Mm, mm. You know, that's their thing, this is my thing. Okay. So I'm happy with my thing. Yeah. So my happiness or dissatisfaction with my thing only exists within that circumference. Right. It doesn't go outside. So I never yeah. compare myself to Shakespeare. See, for example, I mean I see people driving around in a rolls or you know in a in a jack. I don't I mean I don't get pissed off, but I don't say, oh my god, I want that jack. No, I don't, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty happy with my Fortuner. I'm like, and I have an expensive car, I have a normal car, I don't really do shit. Right, right. You know, I mean, I see people throwing a party at, let's say, you know, I don't know, I mean, like, whatever. Uh, I mean, give me a, give me a name, not Casa Bidici or whatever, I mean, you know, like, I don't, when I get invited, I just go, oh, fuck, I wish I could throw a party. No, I won't desire yeah, to throw a yeah. party. So I'm fine, I'm here, I'm enjoying my right. I say, if you really want to go and eat that food, I will go to, go to the restaurant and eat it. So I don't really kind of, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not competing with somebody or something which is not part of my universe. Sure, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that thing doesn't work with me. And then that sounds like a good freedom to give yourself too. So there's no pressure it's not to satisfy someone who doesn't exist. Yeah, let's yeah. say that's not deliberate. I'm just the way I yeah. feel. I've never yeah. kind of felt that, you know, like, I'm mean, you're great at this. So I don't wish, oh my God, I mean, this guy's so good at it, man. I also wanted to. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah right. You right. know, I mean, you're great. I enjoy what you're doing. Right. I enjoy, what you enjoy listening to it, but I wouldn't say, oh my God, I wish I've done it. Yeah, no. yeah. No. Was that, do you think, I mean, for, for, for people who are trying to explore this path of um, putting thoughts to paper, Trying to explore ideas. There's no more paper now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typing I'm things kidding, out, yeah. tweeting things out. Yeah. Is that a is that a good in your opinion a good philosophy to just say what you want to say, don't get bothered by what other people might think and all that. As long as you're true to yourself. Like is that do you think that's a good philosophy yeah. for a young Young writer. Okay, yeah. I I don't I I don't believe in giving advice because I think that's pretty pompous to kind of say, okay, right. this is my advice for you. I always get pissed off when I read. <laughs> you know, what's your advice to readers? Fuck man, I don't have any advice to anybody. I'm for anybody. I mean, like <laughs> read it or don't read it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, not I'm not that casual. I'm very happy if you read it, and uh, you know, if you didn't read it, you know, yeah, I wish you read it. I mean, yeah. it's not that I'm indifferent. No, I'm not indifferent to it. Yeah, uh, it's not that I get upset if somebody doesn't read it. But I think I wish you read it. Like I asked you to read it, so right. No, I was honest that I'll read it when, I'm, when I get the book. No, no, fair enough, absolutely, absolutely. No, so what I'm saying is, 
I mean, I know what is true to yourself. I have no clue what it is. I mean, lots of times I am not true to myself. Lots of times I kid myself. I think everybody does that. Mm. And lots of times you pull the wool over your own eyes. You want something badly or yeah. you don't want something badly. I mean, you always kid yourself. There's nobody who's absolutely honest to prove themselves. I mean, I mean, I don't know anybody. Yeah, that. yeah. But, I mean, if it is, I don't know, man. I cannot advise anybody with anything. The only thing is that I do not believe that there is something called a writer's block. Okay. You got a you got a story. Tell it. Don't worry about the style. Don't worry yeah. about ultimately. What will happen? I mean, it's like it's like you know your book is not there, or you're hungry. You know, you know your phone battery is dead, so you you know how to make it longer. You make it as best as you can, and right. you know if you think that's bad, well, it's not that bad. You know, like yeah, you know, either order it or try to get it. Yeah, so yeah. you know what I mean. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, style. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's ultimately at the most what happens. I mean, it won't work, no. I mean, you need that very right. confidence in yourself. Yeah. You know? I mean, fine. This is not me. This is, no. This is not all that is me. That's right. right. You know, if right. that's all, if you're all of you is just one thing, then you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this is not all that is me. It's the one part of me, but it's not all that is me. So that is I. Yeah. This is I. I want to end on this question because, from a writing standpoint, writer to writer type. When I write, for me, people are like, "Oh, how did you? Why does your character believe that? Why does he have that way of thinking?" And I tell people like, I've written boys, girls of all ages. Everyone is an extended thought of my thought. Everyone is an exaggerated version of me. You know, if they believe this thing, that's because I have had that thought before. But you like, you know, and similar to what you said. All, it's not all of you. I, if I create a character and he or she has certain beliefs, that's because a part of me likes the idea of believing that, and then I made that character. Interesting that you said. Then how do you handle gender? How do you, as a woman? I've actually tested this out. Mm-hmm. I've created stories where I switch the genders and see if the story still makes sense without there being a, a gender bias from my side. That oh, you know. But I've also written stories where I know, like I said, I've written stories about divorce. Never been through divorce, but does that mean I don't get to write about divorce? That same way, I'm not a woman, but does that mean I don't get to create women characters in my own way? So when I create a female character, I know that I will only be able to imagine the female aspect of her experience, but I know the human aspect of her experience because I am a human as well. So I've I've tried both ways. The so the thing that I was uh, curious about in your case, when you're creating characters that you are living. I mean, how how long did Killing Time in Delhi take you? Man, six months. So that's that's a pretty short maybe, time. Maybe first, first I don't write. I mean, that's how long it takes me to do. Like first draft or all drafts? Yeah, first. I mean, the entire draft. The entire draft. Yeah. So when you're, I mean, you have like you said, you're you're living. Through no, what you're saying is fascinating. I never yeah. thought about it. I mean, I never, never thought about it. Essentially, if I understand this question, let me rephrase. Yeah. Are you asking me that in every character is there a part of you in it? Is that what you're saying? I want to know if because not everyone thinks no, that. Not everyone saying? is like that's the point I'm getting. To. Yeah, I want to. I mean, I'm fascinated. I mean, I'm very, very. I mean, I'm taking it back. But I never thought about it this way. Yeah. Yeah. You're right because every character is different, but in every character. They do things which I would have done that way, or if I was in the situation. Yeah, right. I never thought about this. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what makes writing so easy for me. 
That is so. I don't know if you're. I play a lot of video games. Mm-hmm. And uh, we heard of Grand Theft Auto. It's like mm-hmm. it's like a. It's basically this game where you play in an open world. Literally, they drop you in Los Angeles, and you can do whatever you want. And there's a storyline. Okay. But there's also morality for the for the characters you're controlling. Mm. You basically can be a gangster if you want, mm. but you can also be a do-gooder. Mm. The game lets you choose your morality. Oh. So the same people who made that, they also made a western game, which was set in a uh, hundred years ago in the Wild West. Mm. And there also law is different. Mm. You can be an outlaw or you can be the sheriff. You, you know, oh, like that yeah. that mm. duality. And I love the idea of. Duality and how people behave when they know someone is watching and when they know someone isn't. Mm-hmm. And I like exploring characters in the way that okay, if he or she knew that no one will find out that they're about to do something, mm-hmm. will they do that thing? Interesting. And <laughs> so there's this aspect of this game where you know there's a story and you want to get the story right because you want the story's experience that the writers wanted you to have. But then you know that if you choose to not save the game, mm-hmm. which in life we never get to. Live freely in that way. He, oh, if I save the game, and then I go do all the crazy shit I want, because I know it doesn't count towards my yeah. story. I think writing is that mm. for me. Like mm. it's it's being able to do all the crazy stuff that this yeah. thing wants to do, and get away with it because it's fiction. Interesting. You know, like so I tell people that I've written pretty much everything is autobiographical. Mm. I just can't tell you that. Because for me, if I told you, then everyone will find out that that's what I really think. Mm-hmm. So I call it fiction, but in the yeah. end, only the situation is made up; the characters are not. You know, oh, that's fascinating because that's fascinating. I mean, that's just really interesting. We're looking at it, but I want to ask you a question, like uh, Rosa Douglas. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Uh, see, for example, when a lot of people when they write a story, they write also write about people they know. Yeah, you know, especially in the beginning when you start writing in the beginning, uh, you can't. There's a lot of autobiography in that, right? Yeah, or autobiographical details in it. So, would you, let's say, I'm writing about an uncle who killed somebody. Yeah, yeah. So, would I, would you project yourself into the uncle? Yeah, really. I this is and this is one of the scary parts of writing to me in, in, initially. I when I read, I I love reading. Writers, I love hearing writers talk. Basically, I love knowing why something happened, mm. and I love being surprised by why they did that. Mm. Especially when they're like, "Oh, I didn't even think about that scene." Mm. You know, like you're talking yeah. about how you just you you're looking for the fun, right? Yeah. But when I started writing, I was like, I don't think I can put someone else in this person's shoes. Mm. The exterior can be a character that I've met in life, mm. but the interior has to be felt by me. The person has to be someone I can feel like I could be. Otherwise, I may not be true to that person. And that's where I got over that hesitation of wow. writing female okay. characters as well. I was like, okay, if I was thinking about divorcing my husband, how would I talk? That's mm-hmm. what I would do. Fascinating. But I can't talk about because you know when you observe people even in your family, mm-hmm. you don't live them. You only live what they're showing you, yeah. you know. So that's why I I'm not able to penetrate people's mind that way. Mm-hmm. So I can't get into someone else's head. So that's why I have to. But this is another thing that I think holds me back. 
I'm basically mostly writing conversations. I only write two people. Mm. The most my stories of characters they've had is four. Wow. And that was all four of them over the course of one night interacting. Shoot me one of the stories. Yeah. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's primarily for me the process. And that's why I find it fascinating to talk to other writers who are able to create people that are completely unlike them because mm. they have that imagination that I I don't envy, like you said, I don't envy the Rolls Royce. Yeah. But I like knowing that someone can have a Rolls Royce, yeah. you know, like good for you. Yeah. You can yeah, create yeah, yeah. people that I don't, that I can't, mm. good for you. <laughs> no, sometimes I think, you know, like, oh, you know, uh, when I was, let me say this, very silly. When I was younger, <clears throat> My stick was okay. You know, when I turn 50, I'm going to buy myself a Mercedes. Then, uh, then I hear people complaining about the Mercedes. And I thought, very shit. If I buy Mercedes, I spend more money maintaining it. I mean, it's a very middle class way of looking at it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll spend more money maintaining that, you know, than driving the fucking car. I just forget it, man. I'm like, why would I want to buy a Mercedes? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's also a certain, certain say, I would you really want to do it. Yes, right. I'd like to have it, but they really want to do it. You know that 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 that's a that's a different thing. I think that that's what we sometimes let ourselves get away with is that we don't ask ourselves why we think that way. We just go with the first thought. Yeah. Okay, oh, I think that way. I'm gonna go do that, or I'm now gonna feel bad about not getting to accomplish that thing. Yeah. Without exploring why I wanted this thing that I never got in the first place. But yeah. No, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, today, like, I can, I can, I can afford to buy a Mercedes or a Bimu, but I don't want to do it, man. I mean, right. I don't have a headache, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, that's the way you got to, you know. I mean, ultimately, I think, by and large, God has been kind. I've been in a good space most of my life. I mean, I'm not saying I've been, I've been in pretty rough spots, but, yeah. by and large, I would say, right. you know, I've been in a good space most of my life.